Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. We've got some great info for you again this week, and we've got a fantastic interview with Dave Peck, uh, the co-founder of the Cloak VPN service. He has got some really, really good info for everybody. We talk about what a VPN is and why you absolutely need one, and we help you figure out which one to pick. So... There's so many choices out there, it's really hard to figure it out, and we distill it all down for you and tell you exactly what you need to know. So check that out later on in the episode. But before we go there, let's start off with a little bit of news of the week, the stuff I think you need to know. Uh, There's a new bug on the scene that's kind of scary. You've been taught over and over again by me and others in the security area, don't click those links. Don't click on those links. Don't click on links you don't trust. They can uh, infect your computer. Well, we've got a new one for the record books this week because now it's gotten so bad that you can't even hover your mouse over the link. Not click it, just hover over the link. Now, this is a very particular special case. It's not in all cases, but there's this thing going around now, an infected PowerPoint, uh, Microsoft PowerPoint file. Uh, And if you open that file, there's a little link in there. Then if you just hover over that link, that is enough to trigger Microsoft's PowerPoint into doing some things that Quite frankly, it shouldn't be doing on your behalf without asking you. But it triggers a sequence of events that eventually will download and infect your computer. So these emails, these spam emails that have this file, um, they have subject lines that look like purchase order number, blah, 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 or confirmation or orders. You know, They come with a PowerPoint file in that file, sometimes called order.ppsx or invoice.ppxs or something like that. And... If you happen to open this file in PowerPoint, see this link that says loading or something like that, and you hover over it, PowerPoint has these built-in quote-unquote features uh, that behind the scenes are doing something with that hover over link. They're probably starting to look it up or something like that to maybe show you a preview or something. I don't know. It's But unfortunately, the act of it doing that, of, it hovering, of you hovering over that link in Microsoft PowerPoint being tripped into doing something that I'm sure it believes is helpful... Uh, actually triggers the download of a virus. So this is obviously, you know, not something you have to worry about on everything, on every email you get. But in this particular case, um, if you get a strange PowerPoint file, you probably shouldn't open it in the first place, right? But if you do, um, beware that uh, if with this particular infection scenario, if you hover over this link, it can trigger a series of downloads that will eventually infect your computer. Now, anti-malware programs, and you should have something installed, are getting up to date, so they're noticing this behavior and should block it. But the really interesting thing to me is that this is even possible. So the the hackers are really, really clever, and they've got nothing but time on their hands. So it's 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 just going to keep getting worse. We're gonna we need to come together and as software engineers and software companies and figure this stuff out and make things more secure in general. And it's going to come at a cost of convenience folks. That's just the way things go. Things have been too convenient for too long and too many things are automatically happening without giving you a chance to say no. And that's going to have to stop in order for these things to not happen. So anyway, just, just kind of a tip Uh, in case you do happen to get this file, be very careful, but also just kind of generally warning you that, it's just getting weirder. <laughs> so uh, be very careful about any emails you get or any files attached to those emails um, even more than normal. Uh, also, uh, as always, you need to be keeping your software up to date. With both Windows, Microsoft, uh, Microsoft, and Adobe released some major patches for some seriously, seriously critical bugs uh, last week. 
Of course, you should have your Windows updates set to auto already, so you should be getting those updates immediately without even having to do anything. But if you haven't, please turn that on your Windows auto update uh, and go get the latest updates. You've got to keep up to date. Some of these Windows, some of these Windows bugs, 27 out of 94 security holes that were patched last week can be exploited remotely, which means just over the internet. Now, you're, you know, your your firewall is probably protecting you from a lot of these things, but nevertheless, these are these are serious vulnerabilities. So patch your windows. Now, as for Flash or Adobe, uh, Adobe had put out patches for critical fixes with uh, Adobe Flash and Adobe Shockwave. Now, Adobe Shockwave is really old and honestly, you shouldn't be having you shouldn't have it on your system anymore at this point anyway. Uh, same thing with Flash, but I tell you what, I'm going to save that for my tip of the week, and we will talk about that later. In the meantime, if you do have those things, make sure as well that you keep them up to date. If you feel like you have to have them, make sure you're getting all the the regular updates for those. The Adobe plugins are just horrendous when it comes to security, unfortunately. So you've got to keep those up to date. And a couple quick political notes, uh, just. Because you need to stay on top of some of these things, I want to make sure that you're aware of these things going on because you really need to make sure that you're making your voices heard with your representatives. So when these things come up, I want to make sure that I keep you apprised so that you can reach out and um, let them know how you feel. Because if, if we don't stand up and talk about these things, then the only voices they're going to hear are the people with the deep pockets, uh, the lobbyists and the corporations and such. And uh, we need to let them know that we're paying attention to these things. So real quick, a couple, couple items I want to draw your attention to. First of all, there's a, a new bill being put out by Marsha Blackburn, a representative from Tennessee, and that may that name may sound familiar, and I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, her bill is called the Browser Bill, which is short for Balancing the Rights of Web Servers Equally and Responsibly. And if that sounds weird, it's because it's what we call, it's what we call a retro nim, which means is they came up with what the, they what they wanted the name to be, and then they figured out some random words that make it work to come up with the acronym browser. Anyway, be that as it may, that's a very common practice in the military and in Congress. So this bill being put forth by Marsha Blackburn, again, uh, will force companies to get users to opt in for all tracking. Now, that sounds like a really good idea. And frankly, I think it is a great idea. Let me just read a little quick section about what this is uh, supposed to do. So it says both uh, this is from a Recode article. It says both tech and telecom companies would have to seek consumers' permission before selling their sensitive information from browsing histories to precise geolocation data. In the event a consumer said they did not want their, their information shared, however, a company could not deny them service. The bill also puts a halt to any further action at the FCC related to online privacy, and it preempts similar efforts by state governments. So obviously that's a mixed bag there. So while I think it's fantastic that they're that they're finally turning the tables and giving you the user the chance to say, "Hey, no, I don't want to be tracked," uh, and furthermore, saying that if I say no, then you still have to provide whatever that service was. You can't make you know my dependent um, my saying yes dependent on you giving the the website. That's good. Um, what's odd and why her name may sound familiar is Marsha Blackburn was also the person leading the charge uh, earlier this year to successfully repeal the privacy regulations put in place by the Obama administration. Uh, now, those regulations had yet to go to, uh, into effect, but they killed them and scrapped them and basically said they're never coming back. So it's kind of odd that she'd be the one putting this forth. And, you know, they're guessing, I suppose, that there was such a backlash uh, over that original legislation that maybe she's trying to, you know, make amends a little bit. However, I note that it says that it's going to prevent further action by the FCC. So this... 
you know, that's not a good thing. I don't know why you would put that in such a thing in a bill like this to basically say, okay, well, this is it. We're done. We're not going to do anything more on privacy. That seems odd. But anyway, interesting development. Uh, I would at least make sure your representative knows that you support the idea uh, of users having choice and being able to opt in and forcing an opt in instead of opt out. In other words, by default, my answer is no, unless you can get me to say yes. Um, so, you know, that part at least is a good thing. And we should be letting our representatives know that we like that kind of idea. All right, one more quick item before we get to our wonderful interview with Dave Peck, uh, and that is I want to remind you that this is the time to transfer your domain names. If you've got a domain name somewhere, if you're a business or you just happen to own your own domain name, now is the time to transfer. Hover.com is a fantastic web domain um, registrar. Um, they've got great prices. They build in the privacy and the cost of their price, which most places do not do. Uh, that's a hidden cost. Um and it's really something we should all be having for free anyway. That's what they believe. So uh, built-in privacy right into the uh, into the regular cost. And this month only, uh, they've got a 40% off sale for your transfers. The transfer itself is free. doesn't matter when your uh, registrar domain name is actually due for renewal. Uh, this 40% off will take effect when that happens. So you can transfer now, and then the 40% off will take effect for the next year when that time comes. And there's a lot of reasons you might have a domain name, and it might not just be because you have a business. You might just want to brand your your own email. If you, instead of you want, you know, my name at gmail.com or my name at yahoo.com or whatever, you can have your own domain. You can have my name at myname.com. Uh, and the other nice thing about that is basically once you register that, if you keep the domain name, you'll, you'll never have to change your email address again. Uh, you own it. That's you. Uh, and it's a lot easier for people to remember. Uh, and you'll be able to use this with whatever email programs you're already using. It's great. And these guys got fantastic phone support. I've told you in the past, I called these guys and they answered. I mean, it, it, there was no, you know, message about, you know, please listen carefully as our menu options have changed and all that other rigmarole. Usually they just answered. <laughs> so fantastic support. These guys are great. They do one thing and they do it very well. Uh, check out hover.com again, go to uh, hover.com slash transfer my domain. If you got a domain, you need to transfer 40% off uh, this month only. So you got till the end of the month. And now it's time for our wonderful interview with Dave Peck, who was a co-founder of cloak, uh, getcloak.com, which is a fantastic VPN for, for Mac and iOS and coming soon to other platforms. He's got some great information about VPNs, what they are, why you need one, and best of all, how you possibly find the one that works best for you. We walk through all the things you need to consider and cut through the chaff, get right to the good stuff. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest, make it a daily stop, and also get the app. You go right to the App Store and download our free app, and that will put all our content right into your hands on your phones and your tablets. It doesn't get any easier than that. All right, I am happy to welcome Dave Peck, who uh, is an independent software developer now, but he was co-founder of uh, GetCloak.com, a very popular VPN provider for Apple devices, soon to be others, and uh, been wanting to talk to Dave for a long time, so welcome. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. And we're, today, we're going to talk all about VPNs, or virtual private networks. We're going to tell you what they are. I'm going to tell you, we're going to tell you why you absolutely need to have one, at least for certain situations, which most of us will be in, uh, and how to pick the one that's best for you. So you are the expert. That's why you're here. So why don't you tell us a little bit, what is a VPN? What, how does, what, what is all about? 
Sure. Uh, well, VPN has, as you said, stands for virtual private network. But the way to think of it in terms of everyday use is it's just a little bit of extra protection, encrypted protection on your communications as they kind of fly around the internet. Um, basically, when you turn on a VPN like Cloak or another competing product, um, what will happen is we'll encrypt all of the data that you would normally send over the internet before it ever leaves your device, before it leaves your laptop, before it leaves your phone. And we'll send that data in an encrypted form to one of our servers around the globe, and our servers will decrypt it and send it onward. And the reason you might want that sort of encrypted tunnel between you and us is because now people who might be listening into your traffic as it flies by, particularly on the local network that you're using, like if you're at a coffee shop, an airport, a hotel, or or a conference, you know, somewhere where a lot of people are sharing the same network, whether it's Wi-Fi or Ethernet, doesn't really matter. Um, uh, you can encrypt that, and if people are watching your data as it flies by, all they'll see is the encrypted data. They won't be able to make heads or tails of it, and so it just adds a layer of protection uh, for your communication. And and this has become a lot more important recently because, as as we discussed earlier in the in the show this year, the government has taken it upon itself to repeal privacy laws that in all fairness, hadn't gone into effect yet, but were on the books ready to happen and, you know, kind of standing out there as a potential future deterrent for your ISP kind of monitoring what you do. So now we've got, we've got a new use case where, you know, VPNs might come in, come in handy. Yeah, that's really true. And also unfortunate, you know, when we, like I said, when we started this, we were really focused on the shared networks, but yes, because of this privacy repeal, it definitely has gotten a lot of people thinking about, well, how much do I trust my ISP, whether it's Comcast or, or, or CenturyLink or some whoever it is in your local area, um, how much do I trust them to actually treat my data with respect as it goes across their network? Because if you're at home and you're connected to Comcast, that's the first top. They're definitely going to see all your data as it goes in transit to wherever its final destination on the internet is. And so, yeah, it might be in certain circumstances, it might be a reasonable thing to think about using a VPN like Cloak um, even when you're at home, which is kind of an unfortunate turn of events. Mm -hmm. The privacy regulations that you mentioned, um, and as you said, they never really went into effect, but they seemed uh, pretty well designed to make sure that ISPs don't abuse your, your private data as it goes by. In particular, don't do things like try and monetize information about what websites you're visiting, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, things that we would think of as probably not an appropriate thing for, for the person who are paying money to give us internet right. access at home to do, right? Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was scary. And, and something <laughs> we... <laughs> You know, we talked about back when we, uh, you know, I was, I spoke with somebody at the EFF about this and, and, but, you know, before the regulations went into effect, it was kind of understood that, you know, that, that from the, at least from the, like the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission's perspective, if you, you know, if you went a little too far out of line, you know, trying to track your customers, then, then they would come down on you and, and, you know, for instance, Verizon got, you know, got kind of beat up for their tracking cookies that they were putting on all your phone web traffic. So they could, so the Verizon could track and sell your, your data and they got kind of, you know beat up for that. But now, now it's kind of like completely flipped on its head. Now the government is basically saying, Hey, you know, fair game, do whatever you want. You know, yeah, do as you please. Um, which you could say a status quo, but now it really sounds like, okay, now we know these privacy regulations aren't going to go into effect. So yeah, it really feels like it's greenfield. Do, do as you please mine, mine your customer's data as much as you like, um, which is really unfortunate. And so, like I said, like when we first started this, we were really concerned with things like 
people eavesdropping on your communications when you were using a local network that you didn't know something about, like you're at a coffee shop, for example. But now it really has become more and more a concern for um, whether you trust the network operator at all, whether you trust your ISP. Um, and you know, Verizon's another great example where they were obviously abusing their their customers' trust. And actually, they did get slapped down pretty hard. Um, but it took a while for that to kind of filter through. So it's unfortunate. Yeah. So uh, you wrote a very good article recently, and we're going to be walking through a lot of the same points you made in that article when trying to pick a VPN provider. And one of the points you made in there that I thought struck home for me was it's important to understand that what you're really doing as far as from a trust perspective, from a privacy perspective, um, a VPN isn't a cure-all, it's not a silver bullet, because what, what you say in the article is basically now you're replacing your ISP with your VPN provider. Explain that's that. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when you turn on a VPN like Cloak or any other competing VPN product, you are literally shipping all of your data to your VPN provider. Every single bit that would have normally just gone across your ISP's network is now, well, it still go across your ISP's network, but it'll be encrypted so they can't make heads or tails of it. But then you'll send it to us. We'll decrypt it and send it onward. And that's really important to understand that in order to make this all work, we have to be able to decrypt your data. In other words, we have to be able to read it just like your ISP could read it before you used a VPN. And so you really are substituting, you know, a VPN company for an IS, uh, 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 for an ISP. And... Um, that can be a little bit problematic. When we look at the big ISPs, and we were talking about privacy regulations that apply to ISPs, it's definitely the case that the government monitors and regulates, at least in the United States, the, these big companies like Comcast and CenturyLink and so forth. Um, and VPN companies as a class really aren't monitored and regulated terribly tightly in the United States and, and, and certainly not elsewhere. And so you might sit back and say, well, wait a second, is this a good trade-off? And I think the answer really depends on the circumstances, but it's certainly something to think through. It's one reason why if people are thinking about getting a VPN product for for their home network connection, I usually suggest take a take a few steps first to make sure that that's really the right decision to make. So I usually say, well, first of all, make sure you understand fully. Unfortunately, it's often in legalese and kind of a pain to read, mm -hmm. but it's often a good idea to, make, to to sit down and really understand what your ISP's privacy policy is telling you, what they're telling you they're going to do with your data, how they're going to monetize it, how they're going to treat you, whether it's with respect or not. Um, and to keep on top of that as that changes. If that's something that you like, great, then maybe your ISP is fine. If it's something that you don't like, then perhaps you're lucky enough to live in a part of the uh, <laughs> United States, right, where uh, where you can actually find another ISP. Um, I happen to live in Seattle and I have a few options here, but there are definitely uh, many, many places, in fact, most places in the United States uh, where you just don't have a choice. So if you don't like your ISP's privacy policies, you're pretty much out of luck. And that's the point at which I might consider thinking about getting a VPN for, for home connectivity. Right. And so, yeah, so basically the analogy is, it's called a tunnel for a reason. And the analogy I always make is kind of like, you know, let's say, uh, you know, you've got a private tunnel in, from, from your basement that emerges, you know, somewhere else uh, in your neighborhood. So if somebody was watching your house, they wouldn't be able to see if you, if you come, if you came and went, or, you know, maybe you could think of it as like a translucent tunnel where they could maybe see you kind of going, but they couldn't see who it was or whatever, you know, you know work on the yeah. analogy a little bit if you want to get it. <laughs> but the idea is you do come out somewhere. And it's, so it's not like it doesn't really, it's not necessarily protecting you end to end, uh, though there are, you know, your HTTPS might do that for individual connections, mm -hmm. but it's protecting, you know, it, it's making sure that somebody locally, local to you can't see what you're doing. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I think that tunnel metaphor is a pretty good one. I don't know exactly what color the tunnel is either, or what <laughs> material is made out of. <laughs> but but that's that's the basic idea. And I, that that idea of end-to-end encryption is is worth thinking about a little bit when you're thinking about VPNs and just about security on the internet in general. Uh, you know, when you open up a web browser and you visit your bank, like Bank of America, I can pretty much guarantee that that connection, whether you're using a VPN or not, is going to be encrypted. And that's because they use HTTPS, which is the secure variant of the web's protocol. And, you know, no bank in the United States, no bank anywhere in the world is not going to use that. They're going to use it for every single web page. And so you're already encrypting your data. And the advantage of HTTPS is it really is just you and your bank, right? You are encrypting your data before it leaves your your web browser, uh, before it leaves your device. uh, And you're sending that encrypted data all the way to your bank. And they're the only ones in the world who can decrypt it, assuming that everything is set up correctly, which is generally a good assumption if you don't see any, like, security errors in your browser, mm-hmm. um, like certificate warnings, that kind of stuff. Um, so you don't really need a VPN for that. You've already got an encrypted connection. So one question that we get a lot for people who are considering using VPNs when they're out and about and traveling is, will it make it safe for me to use my bank when I'm at Starbucks? And the funny answer to that is, well, it won't make it any less safe, right. but it won't make it safer either because your bank presumably are already has this encrypted protocol available uh, and you're going to use it by default. Uh, so you don't need a VPN. It's really all those other websites and these days apps that communicate with servers without using HTTPS or without using you know some other secure protocol, which unfortunately is still the majority of traffic on the internet. Um, and it's, 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 uh, it's funny, uh, in 2009 or 2010, there was an application, a hacker tool called Firesheet that was yes. released. And it basically made it very obvious that uh, you know, critical websites that were either using only HTTP or they were using sort of a mix of HTTP mm-hmm. and HTTPS, depending on what page you hit, um, were actually at risk. Um, and so, you know, I, I would have expected after Firesheep came out because it made it so easy to like sit in a Starbucks and log into people, log into yes. people's Facebook accounts. It really did make it remarkably easy. I would have expected that the entire world would have fixed itself right away. <laughs> but unfortunately, here we are, you know, seven, eight years later, and it turns out that still a lot of the websites that Firesheep originally targeted, although not as many these days, and then of course, course, the vast majority of the web is still unencrypted. And that's really where I think a VPN is still useful in personal use today. And I think I think that's a key point I've been, I, that I want to make before we go too much further is it's not just about privacy, because I know a lot of people hear privacy and there are still some people out there. Ah, I don't care. I'm boring. I got there's I don't care if somebody looks at my email, but it's more than that. It's actually security. Right. So that's it, right. Because of some of these websites, the way they work, or at least some of them used to work, is they would kind of do this initial you know, crypto exchange where it was all secure and everything. And then they would drop back to this insecure mode. And if mm-hmm. you were like on a public Wi-Fi hotspot in the Fire Sheep case, they could actually see your little token go by and grab it and then impersonate you on that and, and kind of kind of hijack your secure connection. So it's more than just privacy, yeah. it's security. That's exactly right. And in fact, with with Cloak, we've always said security is the primary thing that we want to offer. Privacy is a tricky term and we, mm-hmm. we can kind of kind of piece that apart a little bit, but uh, a little later. But uh but uh, yeah, we, we we tend to focus on security. And uh, yeah, the first time I used FireSheep, it was at a Starbucks here in Seattle. There there are one or two of those here. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I was just shocked at how quickly I was able to like, you know, log into people uh, people's Facebook accounts, log into people's Twitter accounts, log into Amazon.com as somebody else. Um, it was it was shocking. It really showed how how deep the that problem was. 
Uh, and, you know, it, it makes sense if you look back at the history of the web. You know, it took us a long time to realize that that we needed this sort of security, um, you know, throughout. Uh, and we're still learning it. We're still fixing it. So, you know, we'll get there. So uh, we've talked about uh, uh, a few of the, the the key privacy and security scenarios. What are some other scenarios where people might, might want to view, use a VPN? Maybe a little different. Like, for instance, there's some travel scenarios where you might want to use a VPN, uh, or if you're trying right. to access certain content, uh, that kind of thing. What are some What are some other reasons why somebody might want to use a VPN? Right. Well, a not uncommon thing in the working world, and and probably if you have a bigger company, you're probably used to using a VPN to like dial into your work so that you can get access to a file server or, or a printer or one of your computers that's sitting in the office somewhere. Um, so this is the idea that a VPN gives you secure access to another network that you wouldn't normally have access to. Um, this isn't the use case for a public VPN provider like a Cloak or, or similar Um because, of course, our VPN servers for, for product like Cloak are located somewhere in the cloud. They're under our control. They're not in your office, wherever right. that may be. Um, but this is a very, very common use case for VPNs. Uh, and there's some VPN providers that focus specifically on that use case instead. But it's just kind of a different use case, whether you're thinking about just keeping myself safe from who knows what when I'm using untrusted networks versus giving myself access to things that I wouldn't normally have access to. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked through that the, the question of uh, you mentioned uh, when you're traveling accessing home content i mean this is sort of a, a use case where um okay you you connect to a vpn server and it might look like to netflix or hulu or whatever that you're in a different geography than you really are right so maybe you're out abroad traveling and you want to look like you're in the united states so you can continue to watch netflix or the other way around um and this is something that um i know that a lot of vpn providers out there have actually focused on sort of uh, you know consumer vpn providers it's not something that cloak ever focused on and it's something that we when we looked at it we felt like it was a market that was going to evaporate very quickly because it's very very trivial for companies like netflix to sort of put the kibosh on that you know and they have. Quash, it, quash it down and they have in the last year or so yep. Um, and, so, and that's really kind of changed the shape of the market uh, for VPN providers a little bit. Um, it's unfortunate. I know that is a common use case. It's something that people really want to do uh, very often. And in fact, if you think about it, you don't really need encryption to do that. You just need it to look like you're somewhere else. You just just right. kind of need to ship your data off to somewhere else. You don't even need to necessarily encrypt it. So it really kind of feels like a different product entirely. Um, but it is something that people use VPNs for. And I know that there are VPN providers out there who still sell that as one of their primary use cases. All right, so let's talk about what makes up a good quote unquote quote unquote good <laughs> VPN. Big quotes, big air quotes. Uh, there, there are so many factors involved, and it really depends on you know what your use use case are. So walk us walk us through some of those things. What kind of things you know if I'm trying to judge a VPN, what what are the qualities right. of a quote unquote good VPN? Right. It, it, yeah. And I think I'll focus on VPN for the use case of keeping yourself safe when you're using a network you don't trust for one reason or another, okay. um, it, because that's that's sort of the, the wheelhouse here. Right. Um, and uh, it's unfortunately one real problem with choosing a VPN provider is there aren't too many truly objective measures on yes. which you can choose. Right. Like you can't you can't really verify that your VPN provider is, for example, actually encrypting your data. Well, you can if you bust out a, a, a packet sniffer, if you're really into that. Mm. Uh, but but hopefully, you know, you can trust your VPN provider to the extent where that isn't necessary. Um, and even then, let's say that your VPN provider is encrypting your data. Of course, like I said earlier, like we talked about earlier, your data has to go to the VPN provider server they're going to decrypt it and send it onward and unfortunately that means that they have access to all your unencrypted data potentially mm. and they can do whatever the heck they want to with that uh, so uh, you know you might look at their privacy policy 
uh, it's certainly just as important as, as, for example, your ISP's privacy policy. Um, but even then, you might ask, are they actually going to go ahead and adhere to the privacy policy that they stated? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's another thing that you can't really measure. It's very difficult to answer that question. Um, and so really what it comes down to when you're picking a VPN provider, I think, is instead of actually uh, objective trust metrics, you're really looking at trust signaling. You're looking at how they present themselves to the world, uh, how other people who are knowledgeable about the world and more security-focused professionals uh, talk about these companies, how present they are in the community in which they, they that they serve. Like a lot of VPN providers, it's very difficult to even understand who their corporate ownership is. Mm. Um, you know, I would generally say, if I'm going to ship all my data to you, I want to know who you are. Um, so that 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 would be, uh, you know, so I kind of developed over time a set of six things that I, I, I think are useful to think about. And uh, one is, do they have a clear and unambiguous corporate ownership? Can you figure out who they are? Do you know who's running this company? Do you know why they're running it? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, another is, do they have a clear and sensible threat model? And by threat model, I mean just sitting back and thinking about, like, what kinds of things do they claim they can protect you from and why? So, you know, we talked a lot about, like, the Verizon tracking cookies or, like, ISPs trying to, you know, suck up your metadata so they can ship it off. Those are things that a VPN provider can reasonably claim to protect you from, um, keeping you safe uh, from local eavesdroppers on a coffee shop network, for example. Things that a VPN provider uh, probably can't reasonably claim to protect you from, for example, I see a lot of VPN providers that say we're going to keep you completely anonymous online. Mm-hmm. Uh, that strikes me as a very strong claim. You know, to be anonymous, it has to be impossible to f- uncover your identity. Right. And when I look at when I look at the world at large, and I think about people who really, really need to protect their identity, like you think about um, the guy who called himself Dread Pirate Roberts. I can't remember what his real name was. Uh, yeah, he he, re- he ran that um, dark web site um, Silk Road, where you right. could, like buy actual drugs. Okay, that guy <laughs> that guy really needs to stay anonymous online, and he had the technical like chops to do it, and he failed to do so. And and, you know, it's a VPN is is just such a tiny part or not even part of that question. So I feel like the words you use to talk about these things are really important. And the words that your VPN provider, your potential VPN provider use to express what they do and don't do is are, are kind of important. Uh, another thing that I really think is important is to take a look at their privacy policies, just like you would with your home ISP. Make sure that they are clear and unambiguous. Make sure you understand what they will and won't do with your data. Now, most of the... Uh, VPN providers that are out there um, that uh, charge you money on a regular basis are going to have privacy policies that are very restrictive in terms of uh, making sure that they are not allowed to do like sell your data, uh, even in aggregate to a, to a third party. But there are a lot of VPN providers out there that either do one-time charges where you like pay $30 and we give you a lifetime account, mm-hmm. or maybe we don't charge you at all. Um, and I, I've got to think that you know, they have to make up the difference somewhere. Right. I, mean, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody runs a VPN network out of the goodness of their hearts, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would take a very close look at their privacy policies. And then in extreme cases, I mean, we had, um, there was a VPN provider called Hola, H-O-L-A, um, mm-hmm. which is completely free, and it kind of claimed to be this goofy P2P VPN. It wasn't entirely clear what they did, but it turned out what they did um, was you installed your VPN app on their devices, and you could use it kind of like a VPN. Um, but at the same time, they were turning around and selling network access to your home network. Oh, my God. Because you, it was also acting basically as a server. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. So it's completely nuts, right? Uh, oh, my. So it's just very, very sketchy. Um, so you really need to watch out for, for 
for the business model there. So I guess uh, another one I would put on the list is do they charge money and do they charge money regularly? I mean, as much as it might be painful to pay for a VPN, if you're paying regularly, well, you can stop at any time. And if you do, that's a signal to your VPN provider that they're not providing good quality service, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, paying on a regular basis, I really think is a good, aligns incentives really well between customers and companies for v, VPNs. Um, and so I, I, I tend to like to see that. Right. As the saying um, goes, if the product is free, then you're probably the product. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and then uh, another question you might ask yourself is, does this company have a demonstrable track record of security mindedness and responsiveness? Um, you know, uh, uh, for example, there was this uh, big to do uh, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago about a security uh, bug that was discovered in a very um, uh, basic open source uh, security library that is used literally everywhere on the internet. And the bug got was such a big deal, it got a name. It was called Heartbleed. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably remember it. And that was like a moment where if you ran a website uh, that used HTTPS or offered HTTPS, or if you ran a VPN provider, you literally needed to drop everything and fix things because it turned out that that there was a, a really major security issue. And so you can go back and take a look at the, the history of the companies that you're considering making your VPN provider to see how they responded to that. In the VPN space, there are occasionally academic papers that come out that take a look at uh, you know, unusual new types of uh, attacks against VPN providers. You might want to take a look at how your your provider actually responds to that. But like sober security mindedness is really important in this business. After all, you are theoretically providing a security product. So you really, you really want to take that seriously mm-hmm. as, a, as a VPN provider and as a customer, you want to make sure your VPN provider does. And then I think one last thing that you might take a look at is um, – sort of in that ballpark of security mindedness, has um, your VPN provider gone through a third-party technical audit? And do they do so on a regular basis? Um, And the reason that is, is I think most security professionals will agree that even if you're really good at what you do, you will make mistakes. Your VPN company has software developers. They will make mistakes. It will happen eventually. Um, You know, good architecture can... Um, you know, good security is defense in depth. It's an onion. So presumably, hopefully, if you make a, a bad mistake at one layer, it's protected by uh, some forethought at another layer. But you definitely want smart people who haven't been part of that process to take a regular look at the work you're doing to make sure that you're really providing the security benefits and guarantees that you are promising to your customers. So I, th- I think that's another thing that I would personally look for if I were looking at a VPN provider. So as a consumer, what I'm hearing, you know, I'm sure the audience is going, how in the hell do I do I evaluate all yeah. these things about all these various providers? How do I how do I even get that information? How do I? That sounds like way too much research. Is, is there some website I can go to and just say <laughs> VPN ratings and just tell me what I want to have? Right. Well, so and that gets you into another morass, but because mm-hmm. um, VPNs have sort of historically been this weird underbelly of the internet, even though they have these very good use cases. I guess stepping back, if you look at the VPN market, like we said. Um, Cloak and many other VPN providers are strictly focused on privacy and security questions. Um, then there's the sort of like gray area of can I watch Netflix when I'm not at home? Um, then there's the like I'd like to BitTorrent with impunity. Um, mm-hmm. That's not, you know, so we're getting into slightly darker corners of the Internet. And then there's the like I'd like to use a VPN to like further my online professional criminal agenda. And so you, you can get mm-hmm. you can get you can go off the cliff really rapidly. And as a result, like the VPN world at large, the market for the market uh, place of consumer VPN providers is full of 
sometimes questionable stuff. And that unfortunately extends to figuring out how to choose a VPN. Um, there's so much money that goes through these companies in total that affiliate marketing is sort of a big thing. Affiliate marketing is a common thing on the internet. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be bad depending on how it's executed in practice. And so, um, so you explain know, to us just, real quick what affiliate marketing is. Well, I mean, it's the basic idea that um, y- people are looking for a VPN. They don't quite know how to find it. So they go to Google and they search for best VPN. And then they find all these sites that purport to rank VPNs, you know, top 10 VPNs or whatever. And what they don't know and what's written in the fine print somewhere on the website, if the website's good, um, is that those aren't really the top 10 in terms of like some person independently tried them and evaluated them, you know, as like like in a journalistic way. Mm. Instead, they're the ones that are producing the most money through these affiliate payouts. So like every time you decide, every time you look at those top 10 lists and you're like, I'll go with number two and you click and you go and sign up for an account, some money is going from that VPN provider back to whoever is running that top 10 website. And unfortunately, you know, there's so many of these top 10 websites, so many affiliate websites. When you search for best VPN on Google today, it looks like you're getting all these reputable rankings. But what you really get is here's here's the VPNs that are paying us the most right now. Mm. (laughs) And so you can flip that on its head. If you turn around and search for VPN affiliate programs, which is a a fun way to kind of see the other side (laughs) of this. Um, So when I wrote that blog post that you mentioned earlier, I did that search and the top hit on Google was was one that said best high paying VPN affiliate program, pure VPN affiliate program, earn generous commissions, promote today, become rich tomorrow. And like <laughs> like like that is really what this thing that's that's the cultural attitude that that a lot of these VPN companies have. And like, okay, personally I'm gonna take v- pure VPN off my list right now. They are literally like, do you really think the company that's paying out the most is gonna be the one that's the most reliable and trustworthy and have the most security mindedness and like honor their privacy policies? Like I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but it certainly doesn't seem like a good way to choose. Right. So that's a that's an unfortunate uh, uh, state of the world. And then um, sort of into that morass, um, a few websites have sprung up and there's one that's really made the rounds. And I know you and I have talked about it before on email. And that's um, that one privacy site tops. And as far as I can tell, the people who run this web website. So if you go to that one privacy site, you'll see. Basically, I, I mean, VPN providers that as somebody who's been in the business, I'd never heard of before ranked mm. on the site. So it's just literally the most exhaustive list of consumer VPN products I've ever seen, uh, which is amazing. It's an amazing goldmine of data. And then they have about, I don't know, maybe even 100 columns yeah. different axes on which they judge the VPN provider. Everything from like what protocols do they offer? And by the way, you know, like, you know, one one of the things I would say about um, we, we haven't talked about protocols or Mm -hmm. or encryption levels or anything like that. And that's because it really shouldn't matter if your VPN provider is doing the right thing. You shouldn't really have to think about it. Now, I know there's some people who really like to think about that kind of stuff. And I'm sure there's some VPN providers that like provide all the bells and whistles to change that. But really, a VPN provider should just do the right thing. That was one one of the attitudes I had when we started Cloak. But in any case, uh, so, yeah, this that one privacy website, so many different columns, um, so many different axes on which they judge yeah, um, v- VPN providers, and they kind of give you like I think they kind of color code each each box. So it's yep. like here's a VPN provider, here are the protocols they offer. Is that green for good? Is that yellow for meh? Or is that red for like oh this is a problem? Mm-hmm. And it's a it's an awesome goldmine of data. 
Um, but you know, as I said in that blog post that, that I wrote, I, I think it has the potential to lead people really astray. Um, and I, I think it's really unfortunate because I, I think a lot of people are finding this website and just kind of going across it and saying, let's find the one, let's find the VPN provider with the most green boxes. Right. You know? And I, I did that actually. And it was a VPN provider that I, I never heard of. Um, I don't quite understand who their corporate ownership is. So it like didn't quite match my particular personal criterion for picking a VPN provider. I, I, I wouldn't choose that one personally. Um, so, but, so how do you kind of navigate this? How do you think about this? And I, I guess my feeling is, um, it's kind of a forest for the trees situation where we're focused on all these little tiny details, but the big questions of how do you know you can trust these people? You know, like tops is giving you things that you can objectively measure. Um, and, and, and in reality, like I said, I don't think you can objectively measure the things that are most important for picking a VPN mm-hmm. provider. So I think there's a mismatch between the type of data that it provides, which like I said, is very extensive and impressive. Um, but, uh, and, and the things you actually need to keep in mind. So, you know, coming back to, uh, to your original question, well, with all this, how do you really choose? It's a mess right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a, a really good answer. Um, I think that um, there's a bit of a gut check here. Uh, and there's also a question of if you follow people online who, you know, work for the EFF or work for, you know, our reputable security people online, they might have suggestions directly about who to use that you could just kind of say, okay, I think they've vetted these people. So there is a bit of a, like, personal web of trust that has to happen here too, um, unfortunately. Yep. And yeah, I think that sums it up very well. And I, I, I've personally been looking for ever since the ISP ruling came down, I decided, okay, you know, I, I, I'd actually use cloak for, uh, for, for, (laughs) for, uh, simple stuff. And, you know, now I'm thinking, oh gosh, now I, you know, now I need to consider having this actually at home and using it all the time. So yeah, certainly as a security person myself and, you know, people asking me this question and, you know, I thought, okay, well, I, I need to get knowledgeable on this so I can know what to recommend to people. And so I started doing research myself and I found basically exactly what you just laid out and it, that it's a complete mess and it's so <laughs> hard to figure out. And there's so many different things you could measure, all of which and that 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 top site you mentioned, the one privacy site it does that's got a quote unquote simple version that only has like a dozen columns where it summarizes <laughs> some of these things. And even so yeah. it's still crazy. It's, it's still crazy hard to figure out which one is best. And the thing that, that they don't cover in there that, that I think is crucial for a lot of people, certainly this audience is how easy is it for this product to use? Like how, how yeah. well does it work just out of the box turnkey? You know, how, how simple is it to use? Because if there's any, if there's any complication to this whatsoever, people are just not going to use it. That's kind of like the old adage, like what camera is the best camera? It's the one that you carry with you. So yeah. like the best VPN is the one that you actually use. That's that that is exactly right. And that actually gets to the heart of like our original design thinking for cloak, which was, gee, you know, I, I built it because I looked at all the other VPNs. This was back in 2012. And I and I said, gee, that, you know, the state of the art in 2011, 2012 was literally it was first of all, you have to know what this VPN thing is. Then you need to install some open source software like Tunnelblick. Um, and then you need to download our VPN profile file and like, you know, add it to your software. And it was just ridiculous it, when the right experience was was you log in once and you say, I trust my home and my office network. And then you never think about it again because it always mm-hmm. does the right thing for you. And it needs to vanish into the background. If the VPN, like the only time a VPN should really get in your face is when it's having problems. Like you're at an, you're, I don't know, like you're on a Wi-Fi network somewhere and it turns out the Wi-Fi network is a little wonky and it can't actually reliably secure your connection. That's a good time for it to get in your face and say, hey, sorry, things aren't quite working right. But other than that, it should stay away. Uh, and that, 
that thought didn't exist in the industry when we started. Obviously, it's something that uh, I think a lot of the better providers have come around to now. And there are lots of good um, push button providers out there. Um, you know, I, I keep talking about the one that I built, but I, I would say that like Tunnel Bear is another one that um, over time I've become very, very impressed with. I love their marketing. I love the branding. But actually, they've really in the last year or two, it looks like they've really gotten serious on the security and privacy side, whereas early on, it didn't look like they were terribly serious. Now, it seems like they do. They aren't quite push button vanish into the background. They want their little cute little bears to like, you know, <laughs> sit up at, you know, like wave in your face while the VPN is going, which wouldn't be my personal preference. But, you know, I, but but that's another example of like a company that seems to be doing the right things. Um, Golden Frog has a product called Viper VPN. Um, aesthetically, it's not the same, but they've definitely head towards that sort of push button operation. They're based in Austin, Texas. Uh, Tunnel Bear is based in Toronto, I think. Golden Frogs in Austin, Texas. They're another company that has historically done many of the right things, both in the sort of trust signaling categories and in the actually just getting their security and privacy engineering correct. Um, so, you know, I'll just throw those out there as examples. Excellent. That, that, I'm glad you did. I was going to ask you that question. You beat me to it. So, um, <laughs> that, that's good. I'm glad that we could throw out at least a few that, that, that our that yeah. listeners could go check out and, 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 uh, see if they work for them. So yeah, I, I've got to say that, you know, and this isn't like turning into a cloak infomercial, but I, the reason I yeah. liked cloak a lot when I, when I first got into it is exactly what you said. So it, it was, and it, so you got to realize how these things work and that, and, and so if you've got the VPN, so somehow or another, you know, you've got to decide when to use it and when not to use it. So the, the, you set it up, like you said, where if it's on a Wi-Fi scenario where what's trusted and what's not. So if I'm at home, uh, I trust my own Wi-Fi. I'm not worried about something, when, you know, something within my network snooping my traffic, so I don't turn it on because they're disadvantaged to having on. Usually, it's a, usually you pay a disadvantage in speed. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a performance hit when you use a VPN. It's just unavoidable. But cloak, you, so you, you tell it what your trusted networks are and it, and it just remembers those networks. And if you're on those networks, it doesn't turn on. If you're not on those networks, it just automatically turns on. There's no question. There's no pop up. It just, it just happens, which is the way it should work. Um, I was trying to use a couple others and I don't want to, I'm not going to get on anybody by name, <laughs> but I was using one that I played with and it has this kill switch application. So the idea uh. being, you know, we, you know, we want to make sure that you're, you know, that you're, VPN is up when you're using these these applications, and that's usually going to be your browser. So, you know, for some reason the VPN connection drops. I want you to kill these applications so that I know that I shouldn't be yeah. using them and nothing's going on. And so when I said, okay, that's a cool feature, so I enabled it, and then when I disconnected, it killed my browser. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, it's I, ridiculous. I, I manually uh, decided I'm done VPNing, and, <laughs> and it killed my browser. So okay. It, and I should say that, um, okay, so yeah, I, in the interest of not turning this on the infomercial for Cloak, <laughs> but yeah, um, there are kind of two ways, there are lots of different ways to build kill switches. And yeah, the ones that like kill the apps that you want them to kill strike me as very silly. Yeah. Um, like you definitely do, if you if you really want to close the circle and really be able to go use any network anywhere uh, that you don't know anything about and, and have sort of full confidence, you want a few things to be true, right? You want you want none of your data to, to leave your machine until a secure connection is made. Yes. Two, you want to make sure that like your VPN software actually is verifying the correctness and security of the connection it's making and complaining or failing loudly if it can't make a genuinely secure connection. And then, yes, like you said, uh, there are going to be times when like the network goes down temporarily or maybe there's some other problem and like the VPN has to die temporarily it's frustrating it's just kind of a way the state of the world these days um and yeah you want you want to make sure that your data doesn't leak out then one way to do that i suppose is to cause your browser to exit and like you said it shouldn't exit when you actually manually choose to, to turn it off that's really silly um but another way to do it is to actually have your vpn software 
you know, manipulate the firewall uh, on your device. Um, so Cloak for Mac has a feature that a goofy name called Overcloak, and it really is a firewall manipulator. And so if Cloak says, oh, I've got a secure connection. Oh, whoops, I, I have to tear it down for some reason. Maybe the network isn't behaving right. It immediately turns on this fire set of firewall rules um, that basically don't let you send insecure data out. It's an option. You can turn it on and off in the app. Um, but in theory, uh, if you're on a network where you're like the VPN tunnel goes down and comes back up, it goes down and comes back up because I don't know, the Wi-Fi at the coffee shop isn't very reliable, um, your data won't leak out. And we don't have to quit your apps to do that. You know, we can actually just do this behind the scenes and just kind of do the right thing there. Um, and so kill switches, you know, what I would say about kill switches is depending on how they're engineered, they may be better or worse. They may let a little data leak around the edges, like in those transitional times, they may not. It's actually a really hard problem to solve mm. from an engineering perspective to both, you know, give you the, give you the right uh, give you the like zero data leaks ever and gives you give you a nice user experience at the same time so it's you know it's something that i think a lot of vpn providers are chipping away at but it's worth looking at the details of how they've actually done that if you're, if you're considering a vpn provider with a kill switch feature yeah so okay so we're, let's let's kind of bring this back and summarize this at a high level again just to kind of go over the key points and i i, I one of the key points i want to make is and we talked about what makes a good a good vpn provider and we, and, and we acknowledge that there's there's several scenarios wherein you might want to use a VPN provider. And I think the, I think you're right. The vast majority of people, and certainly I think the, the, the vast majority of people listening to this podcast right now, what they really need is they just need to protect their data from, from where they are right now to just get it past whatever this unsecure local network is. So that's a coffee shop, uh, the hotel, the airport, uh, maybe even their house if they're worried about their ISP, uh, whatever. Yep. But but you know they're not worried about the NSA. They're not worried about you know the MPAA you know, monitoring what they're downloading because you're not you know illegally getting movies or games or you know <laughs> yeah. that's not the that's not the common case. The, for most people, it's just I want this thing to be a rock solid thing that, that that kicks in when I need it and gets out of my way when it, when, it, when it doesn't. And I think uh, the ones you mentioned certainly Cloak, uh, Tunnel Bear, and Viper VPN. I think was the other one you mentioned. Probably mm -hmm. all of those will, will will easily fit that bill. Yeah, I think they will. Um, and um, yeah, I think of using a VPN as part of like a good personal online, you know, security hygiene, right? Like yeah. when people really, we're stepping way back for just a second, when people ask me, what do you do personally to kind of stay safe online? My three things are, I strongly recommend using a password manager, like a 1Password mm -hmm. or a LastPass or something, uh, so that you have a unique, strong password for every website you use. Uh, that is absolutely, in my opinion, the number one thing you can do. Two is, I, you know, I'm a, I am out and about at coffee shops and cafes and things in Seattle quite often. I bring my devices with me. Uh, if I were to lose them or they would be stolen, it would be unfortunate. That's why I turn on full disk encryption on all my devices on like a Mac. What that means is I turn on file vault. It's a feature right. that's built into the Mac. That's just a, a feature you should always use on, you know, an iPhone or an iPad. It turns out that, uh, you know, Apple has really deeply integrated the operating system and the hardware so that when you turn on a passcode or touch ID, you're actually also encrypting all the data on your device too. Um, this is an amazing feature. I think, I think it's an amazing yep. feature. Android, obviously has similar features windows has is bitlocker so that there there are features to do this everywhere and then the third thing i recommend is to to use a vpn when you're using networks you don't trust i think those three things taken together are, are really great and if you want to go a step further the fourth thing i often recommend is enable two-factor authentication oh, yeah. yep. on uh, on certain key websites you use and, and for me i think the most key one would be uh, like if let's say all of your accounts are tied to your gmail account right uh -huh. so like you create like you sign into your bank and it's like what's your email address and you say it's me at gmail.com 
put two-factor authentication on your Gmail account. Like yes. at, the, at the very least, put it there. Um, it's painful, but it's a good idea. So that's like my personal thing. And that's kind of where the VPN fits in as a, a part of this whole regime. Yes. And I, I know we put a nice little bow on this, but I forgot one point I wanted to make, and I think it's important. And one, oh, of, the yeah. one of the reasons you want to one of the reasons you want a thing uh, a VPN that kicks in automatically is what you may not realize uh, is when your your phone is always communicating with the network whether you're doing something on it or not so if you walk yeah. in range uh, uh, of a Starbucks and you and for some reason your phone is set up to just you know uh, connect to these networks without asking you it's doing stuff whether you're you're actually actively opening it and poking around uh, whether or not so it's a good thing if that thing in the background is also automatically protect, protecting your traffic Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why I think that the other secure functionality that's that's in Cloak and, it, you know, it's surprising. It surprises me that it hasn't appeared in the competition. I don't know if that's because it was hard to do or, or, or what. It's uh, it just seems like a fundamental feature from my perspective that you want to have. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Well, Dave, this has been a fantastic, fantastic talk. And it, this is really crucial information. I hope everybody listened well. And go back and let's do it again if you missed anything, because it was this. <laughs> this is really, I, I agree. It's one of the top three or top four things that we should all be doing and pay attention to. And it's something I think that most people just, they write off. It's like every VPN and their eyes glaze over and like, ah, whatever. I, privacy, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But it, it's yeah. really much more than that. It's, it's, it's not just privacy, which is, I would argue, extremely important, but it's also security, uh, mm -hmm. peace of mind, you know, you name it. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for coming on, Dave. All right. Cheers. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. You'll find a whole host of shows and a great lineup back at AmericaOutloud.com. And also, get the apps. We now stream 24-7 on Android and Apple. Just look for America Out Loud Talk Radio. And I want to thank Dave Peck once again for coming on the show. That was great, great information. Very timely uh, stuff that we all need to know. Everybody out there with a mobile device, anybody using public Wi-Fi needs to be looking at getting themselves a VPN provider. And it's time for our tip of the week, our new feature where I make sure I bring you at least one actionable thing that everybody can be doing to make themselves safer, uh, protect their privacy. So this week's tip, if uh, you recall at the top of the show, I was talking about making sure you update your Adobe plugins for your browsers. That would be Adobe Flash and Adobe Shockwave. These plugins have been around for a really long time, and it's time for them to go. Uh, there's new web technologies that completely replace them. They're no longer necessary, and they're just riddled with bugs. You do not want to have these installed. So, you know, updating them is mandatory, but better yet, just uninstall them. So go to your web browser, Firefox, Chrome, Edge, Safari, Internet Explorer, whatever you may be using. Uh, go to the add-ons or extensions uh, menu, whatever that may be for your browser. It varies depending on your browser. And look at what plugins you've got installed. If you've got Shockwave or um, if you see Shockwave there or Adobe Flash, uh, you need to get those uninstalled. Now, uh, I'll give you a link, uh, a couple links actually at the end of the show notes. So come on the website and it'll be a lot easier uh, to click those links and have those uh, websites help walk you through the uninstallation process. You really do not need these things. Um, most most websites have moved on. In fact, some websites now actually hit, can do both. They'll do Flash the old way or they'll do HTML5, which is the new way, but some of them still default to Flash. So if you have it installed, it'll still use Flash. Unfortunately, it should be you know, defaulting to the newer standard. But if you don't have Flash installed, they'll still work. It'll use the newer standard. 
uh, and it's much more secure. So uh, just uninstall them. Now, one little tip, if you just find some websites that you absolutely have to use that still for some reason require using Flash, here's, here's a little workaround for you. Uh, use Google's Chrome browser because the Google Chrome browser actually has Flash built in to the browser and the Chrome browser takes care of making sure that it's always up to date for you. So Google Chrome is a popular browser. If you're already using it, then you're already covered. And you really actually technically, I don't think you can uninstall uh, uh, the plug this uh, the Flash plugin from Chrome, it's built in. So, uh, but know by the way that Google Chrome is actually going away from Flash as well. They're gonna stop supporting that as well in the future. But for now, um, uninstall it from all your other browsers um, and Shockwave and Flash in particular, those plugins, make sure they're uninstalled. Uh, and if you find some website that some old website that is behind the times and still requires Flash to operate and you absolutely must use that website, then uh, fire up Google Chrome as your browser and it will still work because Chrome has Flash built in. So that's our tip of the week. And there you have it, folks. One more firewalls. Don't stop dragons down on the books. Uh, we'll be back again next week. We'll have another great interview for you and we'll have another tip of the week. I'll keep you posted on all the things you need to know to keep yourself safe and um, come to the website, check out the show notes. There's links there to the topics we covered here today in the show uh, for further reading and uh, help you with some of the tips of the week and all that sort of thing. So come on out to the website, check out those links. And you can also find my uh, social media stuff there. You can find links to the book, uh, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, which has got a whole bunch of tips in it. And we will talk to you again next week, folks. Until then, don't get caught with the drawbridge down. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs>